0: Chapter 9, Part 5 of The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate McKenzie. The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1 by Charles Johnson. Chapter 9, Part 5. Sated at length with these pleasures, And having taken on board a good supply of fresh provisions, they voted unanimously for the coast of Guinea, and in the latitude of twenty two degrees north in their voyage thither, met with a French ship from Martinique, richly laden, and, which was unlucky for the master, had a property of being fitter for their purpose than the banker. Exchange was no robbery, they said, and so after a little mock complaisance to Monsieur for the favour he had done them, they shifted their men and took leave this was their first royal fortune in this ship roberts proceeded on his designed voyage but before they reached guinea he proposed to touch at brava the southernmost of cape verde islands and clean but here again by an intolerable stupidity and want of judgment they got so far to leeward of their port that despairing to regain it or any of the windward parts of africa they were obliged to go back again with the trade wind for the west indies which had very near been the destruction of them all surinam was the place now designed for which was at no less than seven hundred leagues distance and they had but one hogshead of water left to supply a hundred and twenty-four souls for that passage a sad circumstance that eminently exposes the folly and madness among pirates and he must be an inconsiderate wretch indeed who if he could separate the wickedness and punishment from the fact would yet hazard his life amidst such dangers as their want of skill and forecast made them liable to their sins we may presume were never so troublesome to their memories as now that inevitable destruction seemed to threaten them without the least glimpse of comfort or alleviation to their misery for with what face could wretches who had ravaged and made so many necessitous look up for relief they had to that moment lived in defiance of the power that now alone they must trust for their preservation and indeed without the miraculous intervention of providence there appeared only this miserable choice viz a present death by their own hands or a lingering one by famine they continued their course and came to an allowance of one single mouthful of water for twenty-four hours many of them drank their urine or sea-water which instead of allaying gave them an inextinguishable thirst that killed them others pined and wasted a little more time in fluxes and aporexes so that they dropped away daily those that sustained the misery best were such as almost starved themselves forbearing all sorts of food unless a mouthful or two of bread the whole day so that those who survived were as weak as it was possible for men to be and alive but if the dismal prospect they set out with gave them anxiety trouble or pain what must their fears and apprehensions be when they had not one drop of water left or any other liquor to moisten or animate this was their case when by the working of divine providence no doubt they were brought into soundings and at night anchored in seven fathom water This was an inexpressible joy to them and as it were fed the expiring lamp of life with fresh spirits but this could not hold long when the morning came they saw land from the masthead but it was at so great a distance that it afforded but an indifferent prospect to men who had drank nothing for the two last days however they dispatched their boat away and late the same night it returned to their no small comfort with a load of water informing them that they had got off the mouth of Meriwinga River, on the coast of Suriname. One would have thought so miraculous an escape should have wrought some reformation, but, alas, they had no sooner quenched their thirst, but they had forgot the miracle, till scarcity of provisions awakened their senses, and bid them guard against starving. Their allowance was very small, and yet they would profanely say, that providence which had gave them drink would no doubt bring them meat also, if they would use but an honest endeavour. In pursuance of these honest endeavours, they were steering for the latitude of Barbados, with what little they had left to look out for more or starve, and in their way met a ship that answered their necessities, and after that a brigantine. The former was called the Greyhound belonging to st christopher's and bound to philadelphia the mate of which signed the pirates articles and was afterwards captain of the ranger consort to the royal fortune out of the ship and brigantine the pirates got a good supply of provisions and liquor so that they gave over the designed crews and watered at tobago and hearing of the two sloops that had been fitted out and sent after them at Corvacou, they sailed to the island of martinique to make the governor some sort of an equivalent for the care and expedition he had shown in that affair. It is the custom at Martinique for the Dutch interlopers that have a mind to trade with the people of the island to hoist their jacks when they come before the town. Roberts knew the signal, and, being an utter enemy to them, he bent his thoughts upon mischief, and accordingly came in with his jack flying, which, as he expected, they mistook for a good market, and thought themselves happiest that could soonest dispatch off their sloops and vessels for trade. When Roberts had got them within his power, one after another, he told them he would not have it said that they came off for nothing, and therefore ordered them to leave their money behind, for that they were a parcel of rogues, and hoped they would always meet with such a Dutch trade as this was. He reserved one vessel to set the passengers on shore again, and fired the rest to the number of twenty. Roberts was so enraged at the attempts that had been made for taking of him— by the governors of Barbados and Martinique, that he ordered a new jack to be made, which they ever after hoisted, with his own figure portrayed, standing upon two skulls, and under them the letters A.B.H. and A.M.H., signifying a Barbadian's and Martinican's head, as may be seen in the plate of Captain Roberts. At Dominico, the next island they touched at, they took a Dutch interloper of twenty-two guns and seventy-five men and a brigantine belonging to Rhode Island, one Norton master. The former made some defence till, some of his men being killed, the rest were discouraged and struck their colours. With these two prizes, they went down to Guadeloupe, and brought out a sloop and a French flyboat laden with sugar. The sloop they burnt, and went on to Mune, another island, thinking to clean, but, finding the sea ran too high there to undertake it with safety, they bent their course for the north part of Hispaniola. Where, at Bennett's Kev, in the Gulf of Samina, they cleaned both the ship and the brigantine. For, though Hispaniola be settled by the Spaniard and French, and is the residence of a president from Spain who receives and finally determines appeals from all the other Spanish West India islands, yet is its people by no means proportioned to its magnitude, so that there are many harbours in it, to which pirates may securely resort, without fear of discovery from the inhabitants. Whilst they were here, two sloops came in as they pretended to pay roberts a visit the masters whose names were porter and tuckerman addressed the pirate as the queen of sheba did solomon to wit that having heard of his fame and achievements they had put in there to learn his art and wisdom in the business of pirating being vessels on the same honourable design with himself and hoped with the communication of his knowledge they should also receive his charity being in want of necessaries for such adventures roberts was won upon by the peculiarity and bluntness of these two men and gave them powder arms and whatever else they had occasion for spent two or three merry nights with them and at parting said he hoped the lord would, would prosper their handy works they passed some time here after they had got their vessel ready in their usual debaucheries and had taken a considerable quantity of rum and sugar so that liquor was as plenty as water, and few there were who denied themselves the immoderate use of it. Nay, sobriety brought a man under a suspicion of being in a plot against the commonwealth, and in their sense he was looked upon to be a villain that would not be drunk. This was evident in the affair of Harry Glasby, chosen master of the royal fortune, who, with two others, laid hold of the opportunity at the last island they were at to move off without bidding farewell to his friends. Clasby was a reserved sober man, and therefore gave occasion to be suspected, so that he was soon missed after he went away, and, a detachment being sent in quest of the deserters, they were all three brought back again the next day. This was a capital offence, and for which they were ordered to be brought to an immediate trial. Here was the form of justice kept up, which is as much as can be said of several other courts that have more lawful commissions for what they do. Here was no feeing of counsel, and bribing of witnesses was a custom not known among them. No packing of juries, no torturing and wresting the sense of the law, for by ends and purposes, no puzzling or perplexing the cause with unintelligible canting terms and useless distinctions. Nor was their sessions burthened with numberless officers, the ministers of rapine and extortion, with ill-boding aspects enough to fright a trial from the court. The place appointed for their trials was the steerage of the ship, in order to which a large bowl of rum punch was made and placed upon the table, the pipes and tobacco being ready, the judicial proceedings began. The prisoners were brought forth, and articles of indictment against them read. They were arraigned upon a statute of their own making, and the letter of the law being strung against them, and the fact plainly proved, they were about to pronounce sentence, when one of the judges moved that they should first smoke to the pipe, which was accordingly done. All the prisoners pleaded for arrest of judgment very movingly, but the court had such an abhorrence of their crime that they could not be prevailed upon to show mercy, till one of the judges, whose name was Valentine Ashplant, stood up, and, taking his pipe out of his mouth, said he had something to offer to the court on behalf of one of the prisoners, and spoke to this effect by god glasby shall not die damn me if he shall after this learned speech he sat down in his place and resumed his pipe this motion was loudly opposed by all the rest of the judges in equivalent terms but ashplant who was resolute in his opinion made another pathetical speech in the following manner god damn ye gentlemen i am as good a man as the best of you damn my soul if i ever turn my back to any man in my life or ever will by god glasby is an honest fellow notwithstanding this misfortune and i love him double damn me if i don't i hope he'll live and repent of what he has done but damn me if he must die i will die along with him and thereupon he pulled out a pair of pistols and presented them to some of the learned judges upon the bench who perceiving his argument so well supported thought it reasonable that glasby should be acquitted and so they all came over to his opinion, and allowed it to be law. But all the mitigation that could be obtained for the other prisoners was that they should have the liberty of choosing any four of the whole company to be their executioners. The poor wretches were tied immediately to the mast, and there shot dead, pursuant to their villainous sentence. When they put to sea again, the prizes which had been detained only for fear of spreading any rumour concerning them, which had like to have been so fatal at corvacoux were thus disposed of they burnt their own sloop and manned norton's brigantine sending the master away in the dutch interloper not dissatisfied with the royal fortune and the brigantine which they christened the good fortune they pushed towards the latitude of desiada to look out for provisions being very short again and just to their wish captain hingston's ill fortune brought him in their way richly laden for jamaica him they carried to bermuda and plundered and stretching back again to the west indies they continually met with some consignment or other chiefly french which stored them with plenty of provisions and recruited their starving condition so that stocked with this sort of ammunition they began to think of something worthy of their aim for these robberies that only supplied what was in constant expenditure by no means answered their intentions and accordingly they proceeded again for the coast of Guinea, where they thought to buy gold dust very cheap. In their passage thither, they took numbers of ships of all nations, some of which they burnt or sunk, as the carriage of characters of the master displeased them. Notwithstanding the successful adventures of this crew, yet it was with great difficulty they could be kept together under any kind of regulation, for, being almost always mad or drunk, their behaviour produced infinite disorders, every man being in his own imagination a captain, a prince, or a king. When Robert saw there was no managing of such a company of wild ungovernable brutes by gentle means, nor to keep them from drinking to excess, the cause of all their disturbances, he put on a rougher deportment, and a more magisterial carriage towards them, correcting whom he thought fit, and, if any seemed to resent his usage, he told them, they might go ashore and take satisfaction of him if they thought fit at sword and pistol for he neither valued or feared any of them about four hundred leagues from the coast of africa the brigantine who had hitherto lived with them in all amicable correspondence thought fit to take the opportunity of a dark night and leave the commodore which leads me back to the relation of an accident that happened at one of the islands of the west indies where they watered before they undertook this voyage which had like to have thrown their government, such as it was, off the hinges, and was partly the occasion of the separation. The story is as follows. Captain Roberts, having been insulted by one of the drunken crew, whose name I have forgot, he, in the heat of his passion, killed the fellow on the spot, which was resented by a great many others, but particularly one Jones, a brisk, active young man, who died lately in the marshalsea, and was his messmate. This Jones was at that time ashore a watering the ship, but as soon as he came on board, was told that Captain Roberts had killed his comrade, upon which he cursed Roberts, and said he ought to be served so himself. Roberts, hearing Jones's invective, ran to him with a sword and ran him into the body who notwithstanding his wound seized the captain threw him over a gun and beat him handsomely this adventure put the whole company in an uproar and some taking part with the captain and others against him there had like to have ensued a general battle with one another like my lord thormont's cocks. however the tumult was at length appeased by the meditation of the quartermaster and, as the majority of the company were of opinion, that the dignity of the captain ought to be supported on board, that it was a post of honour, and therefore the person whom they thought fit to confer it on should not be violated by any single member, wherefore they sentenced Jones to undergo two lashes from every one of the company for his misdemeanor, which was executed upon him as soon as he was well of his wound. This severe punishment did not at all convince jones that he was in the wrong but rather animated him to some sort of a revenge but not being able to do it upon roberts's person on board the ship he and several of his comrades correspond with anstis captain of the brigantine and conspire with him and some of the principal pirates on board that vessel to go off from the company what made anstis a malcontent was the inferiority he stood in with respect to roberts who carried himself with a haughty and magisterial air to him and his crew he regarding the brigantine only as a tender and as such left them no more than the refuse of their plunder in short jones and his consort go on board of captain anstice on pretence of a visit and there consulting with their brethren they find a majority for leaving of robert's and so came to a resolution to bid a soft farewell as they call it that night and to throw overboard whosoever should stick out. But they proved to be unanimous, and effected their design as above mentioned. I shall have no more to say of Captain Anstice till the story of Roberts is concluded. Therefore I return to him in the pursuit of his voyage to Guinea. The loss of the brigantine was a sensible shock to the crew, she being an excellent sailor, and had seventy hands aboard. However, Roberts, who was the occasion of it, put on a face of unconcern at this, his ill-conduct and mismanagement, and resolved not to alter his purposes upon that account. Roberts fell into Windward nigh the Senegal, a river of great trade for gum, on this part of the coast, monopolized by the French, who constantly keep cruisers to hinder the interloping trade. At this time they had two small ships on that service, one of ten guns and sixty-five men, and the other of sixteen guns and seventy-five men who having got a sight of mr roberts and supposing him to be one of these prohibited traders chased with all the sail they could make to come up with him but their hopes which had brought them very nigh too late deceived them for on the hoisting of jolly roger the name they gave their black flag their french hearts failed and they both surrendered without any or at least very little resistance with these prizes they went into sierra leone and made one of them their consort by the name of the ranger, and the other a storeship to clean by. Sierra Leone River disgorges with a large mouth, the starboard side of which draughts into little bays, safe and convenient for cleaning and watering. What still made it preferable to the pirates is that the traders settled here are naturally their friends. There are about thirty Englishmen in all, men who in some part of their lives have either been privateering, buccaneering, or pirating, and still retain and love the riots and humours common to that sort of life. They live very friendly with the natives, and have many of them of both sexes to be their gromettas, or servants. The men are faithful, and the women so obedient, that they are very ready to prostitute themselves to whomsoever their masters shall command them. The Royal African Company has a fort on a small island called Bent's Island, but tis of little use, besides keeping their slaves. The distance making it incapable of giving any molestation to their starboard shore. Here lives at this place an old fellow, who goes by the name of Crackers, who was formerly a noted buccaneer, and, while he followed the calling, robbed and plundered many a man. He keeps the best house in the place, has two or three guns before his door with which he salutes his friends the pirates when they put in and lives a jovial life with him all the while they are there here follows a list of the rest of those lawless merchants and their servants who carry on a private trade with the interlopers to the great prejudice of the royal african company who with extraordinary industry and expense have made and maintained settlements without any consideration from those who without such settlements and forts would soon be under an incapacity of pursuing any such private trade wherefore tis to be hoped proper means will be taken to root out a pernicious set of people who have all their lives supported themselves by the labours of other men Two of these fellows entered with Robert's crew and continued with them till the destruction of the company. A list of the white men now living on the high land of Sierra Leone and the craft they occupy, John Ledston, three boats, and periago his man Tom, his man John Brown, Alexander Middleton, one longboat, his man Charles Hawkins, John Pierce, partners, one longboat, William Meade, partners, one longboat. Their man, John Vernon. David Chapmers, one longboat. John Chapmers, one longboat. Richard Richardson, one longboat. Norton, partners, two longboats and two small boats. Richard Warren, partners, two longboats and two small boats. Roberts Glynn, partners, two longboats and two small boats. His man, John Franks. William Waits, and one young man. John Bonnerman. John England, one longboat. Robert Samples, one longboat. William Pressgrove, one slope, two longboats, a small boat, and Periago. Harry, one sloop, two longboats, a small boat, and Periago. Davis, one sloop, two longboats, a small boat, and Periago. Mitchell, one sloop, two longboats, a small boat, and Periago. Richard Lamb, with Rocky Rodrigues, a Portuguese. George Bishop, Peter Brown. John Jones, one longboat. His Irish young man at rio pungo benjamin gunn at Kidham, george yates at Galenius, richard lemons the harbour is so convenient for wooding and watering that it occasions many of our trading ships especially those of bristol to call in there with large cargoes of beer cider and strong liquors which they exchange with these private traders for slaves and teeth purchased by them at the rio nunes and other places to the northward So that here was what they call good living. End of chapter nine, part five.